tired. So tired. Overtired. You're listening to Overtired. I'm Christina Warren, and I am joined, as always, by Jeff Severns-Gunsel and Brett Terpstra. Guys, how are you? Hello, hello, hello. episode 295. <laughs> I got new teeth. You, nope. Okay, so our listeners, I got your we're te- not doing what? video, what? What just but for the last year, I had the four teeth in the bottom right back of my mouth got pulled. So I haven't been able to chew on the right side of my mouth for a oh, year wow. now. Um, and I just got used to it. I, I got used to having yeah. all that extra space for my tongue. Uh, and you, you, your, your brain just accommodates, you know, you just start chewing with one side of your mouth. So now I have to like force myself to chew, but they put these teeth in, I got this bridge, this implant. And for, for people listening, I just like pulled my cheek back and tried. No, to you did it. like the old <laughs> comedy, like fish hook in the cheek. Yep. Yeah. You really yeah. Did. <laughs> and, and the teeth they put in this implant they put in is bigger than the teeth that were taken out. Um, I don't know if you can hmm. see, but it comes in like almost a quarter inch further. Yeah, okay. Than okay. the normal teeth were. Oh, geez. Ooh, weird. So, okay. Now, was that an accident or is that just like I, how they work or like? I complained about it and they explained to me that because of the way, because there's two uh, like whatever, screw posts, whatever they're called, implants, I guess. Right. Um, and the way that they have to create a bridge that spans across these two posts, it has to be in a straight line instead of curved the way a, a set of teeth normally would be. Um, so I guess it's unavoidable. Uh, I'm going to give it a couple weeks. And if it if I can't stop biting my tongue, like I, I'm having to retrain the way I speak. Um, yeah. I'm, I, I, I tend to lisp now if I'm not paying close attention because my tongue is kind of like jammed in towards the center of my mouth. And it's, it's nice to be able to chew on the right side of my mouth. But honestly, I, I kind of miss not having teeth there at this point. <laughs> I'm getting, uh, wow. as the days go by, I've only had them for two days. So I feel like I'm getting more used to them every day. Uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll just, maybe my brain will just adjust to this new reality now. I think it probably eventually will. Um, they might have to do a thing where like they shave some of that down or whatever. I don't know. If that's an option, I'm all for it. I mean, they might be able to. I'm just, I'm, the reason I'm saying this is like, I know that they can shave regular teeth down. So I don't understand why they couldn't right. shave like an implant or something. Yeah. You know we'll what I see. got? What? I went to the dentist for a crown and they gave me a 3D print of my teeth. Oh, jeez. What are you going to do with them? Halloween's coming up. That is cool. Well, my fucking family's sick of seeing them. Uh, I had it on my bedside table for a while. Oh, yeah. My family's, no, like, my family's like that with the gallstones I got taken out. Your wife is like, <laughs> you put that in the house first. You get that off the bedside table. <laughs> it's fascinating to look at. You never see It's like a, for, for those, again, for this visual episode where we're tired, I have a full 3D <laughs> printed version of my mouth. And, uh, and I can just look at it and it's like looking at me, uh, or at least part of me. And it's like where I know there's bigger gaps in my teeth, I can locate them on the side. And like, it's just amazing. <laughs> Do you anyway. look at it while you're flossing? So you can like, well, no, but it's actually mind. facing me. I I'm looking at it. It's up on top of my monitor on a little tray. <laughs> so they, they're staring at me all the time. So one of the benefits I was looking forward to with this whole quarter of my mouth being fake now was that I can't get cavities there. Mm. What I didn't realize is with a bridge like this, you have to floss underneath it. 
So yeah. it's not that I have a quarter of my mouth being uh, like maintenance free. It's that I have a quarter of my mouth that requires different maintenance than the rest of my mouth, which I'm yeah. pretty disappointed about. Yeah. What is that? You bring the floss back to the back and you go under no, the teeth. So there's two posts in it. So you can't just like scoop under it. Uh, okay. You get this thing called, I think it's called a bridge thread. Okay. And it's like, uh, it's just a wire and okay. you have to like get it between and around the posts and like poke through at the bottom of your teeth wow. uh, instead of going between the teeth. Cause it's one solid piece. So you can't just like floss down into it. You have to dig underneath it. And I'm not excited about that. Yeah. A, uh, a, a elderly British friend of mine told me that it used to be custom on the Island uh, for a wedding gift in rural parts of the country to give the husband or the husband and the wife uh, to give them uh, fake teeth for their wedding present, a set okay. of full set, full Just set of like planning for the future. I guess so. I don't uh, understand it. I didn't fact check it. This lady's generally very reliable, but everyone should have at least one elderly British friend. I agree. Mm, this is the best. I everyone agree. should have at least two Austrian mates. <laughs> Sorry, that's a reference to a movie that neither of you will ever see, but It's All Gone Pete Tong is a fucking classic and everyone should watch it at least once. Okay. All right. I'm adding, right. uh, it's been in here before, but I'm adding Pete Tong to our show notes right now. Okay, he is. Can you hear him clicking? He's not bullshit. All Gone Pete Tong. Such a good mm. movie. Spelled like it sounds. It's a great movie, I'm telling you. His girl, his girlfriend tells him he should maybe write a book about his life. And he says, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. Wait, that's a lot. Maybe a pamphlet or a brochure. <laughs> I get that. I, I feel you. All right. Should we do some mental health? I guess so. I feel yeah. like we segued into that I, I, I think I, th- I definitely think we segued into it. Who's up first? Mm-hmm. I'll go first. Awesome. Uh, because mine is not massive. I... Uh, so I mentioned this ironically in an addery last week that I've been like having some indigestion and I, I think I have an ulcer is basically what I think it is. And so this isn't really mental health per se, but it is like my health, it's which health. affects my mental health. Absolutely. So, so like the last few weeks, this has been a weird thing where I've never really had this, where I have like, um, like really bad, like all day, like indigestion. So how it started was I'd been at a friend's house. I hadn't had much to eat that day. I ate some stuff. I had some wine. And then I woke up like eight hours later and I threw up and, but I didn't throw up, you know, because I was like drunk or anything. Like it was like that thing where sometimes, I don't know if you've ever, if either of you ever had this, but sometimes you do get like indigestion where like all of a sudden you wake up and like your mouth is full of saliva and you're like, I have to throw up because there's gas or something in my stomach. And that happened, but then it continued to happen for like three more days. And I really couldn't eat anything. I couldn't keep anything down. I just felt terrible. And I felt like, you know, it was like, like lower than normal indigestion, but not like a stomach ache. And it's, it's continued and it got better, but now it's like worse. Like I've had a lot of Tums. I've been taking like over the counter things and whatnot, but, um, and, and things were better. It, I had one instance at my parents' house for one day, but, um, then it, uh, was, was better after I was, I was taking some, like, uh, some Pepsid or something, but I ran out of Pepsid. I, so I have to get more Pepsid and it's like back and it is not great. Like I, 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 I've forgotten, like, it's been a while since I've had any sort of like physical health problem. Almost all of my problems have been like hidden. So, 
I, you know, like mental. And, and so I'm like, God damn, this sucks. So I'm going to have to find a, a, a gastro um, to, to go to and like get checked out. But it's one of those things that, that can make you tired and like make you not feel oh, good. Yeah. Like otherwise when like your body like feels like it's, you know, like right. And, and I think, itself. I think that's under, under recognized is that chronic pain of any kind, even short term has a major effect on because it affects your sleep. It affects your diet. It affects your overall pain level, right? Uh, which all affects your mental health. And that absolutely is a valid part of the mental health corner. Uh, any kind of people who are like, uh, deal with like extensive chronic pain or chronic fatigue, yeah, that's that takes a real toll on the mental health. Yeah, no, and and it it doesn't like and obviously mine is, is is very minor compared to those things, but it does. It, but I think that that's a, a great point, Brad, and that that I think was what it kind of got me thinking about, which is that a lot of times I do think sometimes like if your your other health is not good, then that's going to make everything else better or worse. And and I think on the flip side, right, like they're almost they're these terrible selves like fulfilling things is that if you have like your mental health is not good, then you're less likely to take care of your physical health. And like, sure. it's this, it's this terrible, like self-perpetuating motion machine. Yeah. And may- maybe world. even vice versa. Yeah, exactly. So that's me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had, I had, I had, I had an additional thought for this and I lost it. I lost it because I was working really hard to actively pay attention to what you were saying which is a problem I have. Like I will start thinking about my response and the the person I'm talking to will continue on with their story. But meanwhile, I got stuck on this, this part I wanted to respond to. And I miss, and when I edit our podcasts, I always realize that I've done that. Like you've gone on, you've gone on and shared something important, relevant, uh, noteworthy, but I got stuck on something you said like two minutes earlier, and that's what I respond to when I like derail the conversation. And it mm-hmm. drives me nuts to hear like my own habits when I'm when I'm editing this show. So I apologize for all the times I've done that, and probably will do it in the future. Hey, that's mm-hmm. okay. I mean, I, I I actually I for one like appreciate the uh, the self awareness there because I think most of us probably do that. I think that's one of those truisms. Um, again, I, last week I quoted something from, um, invisible monsters, my, one of my favorite books, which has not aged particularly well in certain aspects, but I still <laughs> love it. Uh, where like, you know, the postcards they send out, which are, are again, these, these sort of trite things, but, but some, some of them are, are good. Uh, like, like, like one of my favorite quotes, but there's one where it's like people, you know, ask you how your day is so that they can tell you about theirs. And, mm-hmm. and there's, there is a certain truth to that. I think where a lot of times, we are thinking about our responses and our own things or waiting to say our next uh-huh. thing and not always like active listening. This is my short, my, my long winded, sorry. This is my long winded way of saying that yes, active listening can be difficult, but it's especially uh-huh. difficult when you're trying to think about what you said next. Did you, did you remember what you were going to say? <laughs> no, but I saw, <laughs> an, I saw uh, an Instagram meme the other day that, that basically uh, to paraphrase the conversation between neuro- two neurodivergent people is basically just a series of that reminds me of the time where not, none of it relates to the story the person just told. Right. It's just like a constant like, well, that reminds me of. And I'm like, yeah, that is that's how I actually prefer to converse. I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot communicated when you share personal stories and some people feel they look at that as like, oh, you're making it all about you. But actually, that's how I relate to what you're saying. It's, right. I find a connection that I can 
latch on to. And if my connection offends you or it's wrong, then I want to hear why your experience is different. Like that's, I put it out there for the purpose of like trying to communicate. It's my way of saying, is this what you mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some people don't deal with that. Some people like Elle, my girlfriend, um, have learned to communicate with me in that way, uh, to hear it the way that I mean it. Uh, but, but yeah, when you're, when you're talking to a neurotypical, that can, that can sometimes not go so well. Yeah. Although I think that most neurotypical people are like that too. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like I, I'm, I'm at this point now. I don't know if anybody is neurotypical to be completely honest. <laughs> yeah. I was going like, to say, I don't know if I even believe in the, the, that particular monster. Yeah. Because I think that most people uh, are, are that way. And I, I think that what you just described, if anything, I would actually describe that as a fairly common response to say that you relate to people by being able to, you know, make comparisons in your own experiences. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. I can't prove it either way. All I know is what's true for me. And, right. and it's true for me. So it, well, that, that, I think that that's true for me largely. I mean, it's not universally true, but like, I think that a lot of times, like one of my first instincts, especially when talking to people is to try to find a thing I can relate to if only not so much for myself, but, but oftentimes for them to be like, oh, you know, I, I, I know what you're saying. I have empathy or whatever. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. whereas I would think that if I, I think that, so again, like I, I think terms like neurotypical and atyp- neuroatypical are, are not necessarily even helpful at this point. But, um, but I do wonder, like, if 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 you were going to go on that spectrum, I think that if people who have a hard time with empathy, that might not be a thing they might even be aware of. If that makes any sense, where they could even make that connection of this is similar to this thing with me. So. Maybe and and maybe your life is similar to mine in that you have attracted and curated people in your life who can relate to you in those ways. Um, there is a world out there that was designed by neurotypicals. Um, that is why those of us who are neurodivergent often have trouble. I mean, it's it's what makes us. It's what makes school hard for us. It's what makes work hard for us. We have extra challenges because this neurotypical world was not designed for us. Sure. Um, and this no, is especially I- true with like autism, but but ADHD for sure. Um, like no, there, there, yeah, those people do exist though. They oh, really no, do. Oh no, I know they do. I, I, I but know we self select out of those groups. Well, no, and I know they exist. I'm not trying to say that. What I'm saying is my experiences, and this is why I, I, I guess I am neurodivergent, but I've never identified that way because for most of my life and, and even now, like I could, I've existed in, in primarily neurotypical spaces where I've worked with a lot of neurodivergent people, obviously, but I've also been in very neurotypical spaces that are very common and like excelled in those spaces. Right. Like, yeah, I, like I think you're I good ha- at masking. Well, not just masking, but I think I'm actually good, to be completely honest, I think I'm good at understanding social cues and social scenarios, mm-hmm. regardless of what person I'm with. I don't think that's masking. I think that's, like, if You're- anything, like, I, I just understand instantly what the social dynamic of something is. You info dump, though. Yeah. Which is not a neurotypical thing. That is an atypical thing to, oh, like, sure. you, 
you know something about something. It's a, it's, and in your case, like, you know, so much about so many things, like someone hits a topic, you know, about, and you will dump, you will, you will info dump and, and it can make neurotypical people uncomfortable. It can make ADHD people like me lose focus. Uh, so no, totally. No, no. And I, I'm again, like, I'm not, I'm not claiming that I'm like, I'm not normal. I'm so what I'm saying is like, and I'm not claiming your- to give you therapy. Well, I'm I'm just saying, like in these in these situations, like I think what you were describing is trying to find like similarities. I actually think that's a fairly common neuro neurotypical skill to try to find common commonalities. So there's this line who aren't we we won't drive this into the ground, but sure, there's a difference. Like for me, someone will tell me a meaningful story, and instead of me, I believe the neurotypical response would just be to say. I hear you. That's that's really rough or that's really meaningful in its way. And my response instead is to say, yeah, one time when I was, you know, 25, this happened to me. And it's not uh, just in a pure conversational uh, as a gambit. It doesn't really indicate uh, necessarily understanding, especially if what I say isn't obviously correlated. Uh, I found people like Jeff here, uh, they hear me do that and he rolls with it. Like, I think he understands. I think he speaks the way I do. Uh, but people like my mother, uh, will, will worry that I'm making the conversation about me when they just told me something that was meaningful to them. And my way of acknowledging that it was meaningful was to find a personal story that relates. But, uh, right. but for my mom, it, and if anyone's neurotypical, it's my mother. And that's why like life has been rough. Uh, Cause she does not understand like what I go through. And, uh, and, and she sees it as me making it about me. Yeah. Okay. I, I can understand. I can actually see both of those things. And I guess, yeah, this is, this would be the difference. I think that I guess, I, I I I think that most people do actually act like you, nerd, even people like your mother, where they would in their mind find a similar situation. They might not share it at that moment because that might not be the right response. If, if that makes sense. Yes, I appreciate that you think you know how neurotypical people. <laughs> well, you think I, of I yourself as neurotypical. I mean, I'm not neurotypical, but I've I, but I've been around enough neurotypical people, and I've I've. I do feel like I understand how neurotypical people act because I've been, that's been my primary existence. Like my, my, my family is completely neurotypical. So, I, so I know, I, I, I know I the constantly response butt groups. up against it. Yeah. It's yeah. And, and, and I don't like, I know I'm, I'm neurodivergent, but I'm, but I'm like, but I, I understand the, this is what I'm trying to say. Like, I understand the social scenario where if you say what you're feeling, how they're going to react and why yeah. they would react well, that way. I also completely and, understand why they would react that way. And, and to be fair, like I can get along fine at a party these days, n- less so when I was younger. But yeah, I've gotten really good at existing in a more neurotypical typical space. I'm not like handicapped. It's not like everything oh, I yeah. do comes across as like uh, disabled in any way. Like I can be social. I can be well liked. Um, I can. I can even have deep conversations with people that aren't like me. So it's, I'm not saying it's not possible. Um, It's just, there are differences in the way we naturally communicate. 
Yeah, I guess all I was going to say, and this will be my final thing, and we've gone way too long on this, and you can edit out any, <laughs> edit out any or most of this. Nope, this it all boring. stays. Uh, is I think that most people, this is what I was going to say, maybe not for the reasons that you do, but I think that most people do, because this is a truism, and this is like a, a known like like uh, truism or aphorism, right? This is This is one of those things which is that usually the whole time someone else is talking, people are waiting and thinking about what they want to say rather than listening to the next thing to say. Like that is a truism and that is a, that is, that is a sure. neurotypical truism. So that's all I was going to say is that many okay. people I think uh, are, are thinking about their own experiences or their own relation thing while someone else is talking. They might not share that the way you did, but most people are and, not actively listening. And this will be the last thing I say on the topic. Cause yeah, it's gone on, but um, <laughs> that, that is probably one of those things that everyone can relate to every, everybody like has that for ADHD people in particular, it's hard to uh, circumvent that. It's hard to, it's hard to bring yourself back. Right. Um, I think it's harder for ADHD people to, uh, to like see that that's happening and, and do something about it. Anyway, Jeff, how's your mental health? Well, I, it's interesting. Cause I, I, my mental health is, is it is what it is, but I've, I've really been thinking a lot about um, the quality of presence and um, thinking about that again, as you're talking uh, for me, quality of presence in the sense of like, I've just, I've done a lot of uh, over recent years, <laughs> COVID excluded. Um, I've done some experimenting with myself in social situations where, um, where I actually, you know, work to not do the thing where that you're describing, which is like, mm-hmm. oh, that makes me think of a story. Cause I really, I actually quite love like story trading. And I think that in certain relationships I have, Same. that's a norm and it's, and it's just lovely. Um, and I've found in many, many other situations that um, I think I'm hitting the mark and I've probably missed it. And, and in missing it, my quality of presence has, has degraded significantly in that conversation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I've experimented with kind of letting stories just end without me <laughs> having um, something to share about it, but in finding some meaningful and natural way to sort of mirror or, or just register that I'm, I've taken this in um, and I, and whatever, whatever sort of appropriate level of, of indicating, you know, I, I feel that the gravity of this or the hilarity of this or whatever it is. Um, I actually, for me, that the reason that's difficult is because I, I am like, it's like in my DNA on my dad's side, like I get antsy in silences. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad and my grandmother, his mother always did and, and always does, um, make sounds in silence, whistle or, <laughs> or my, my grandma used to always go, Oh, golly. You know, like in any fucking silence, right? Including in really serious conversations when the silence felt meaningful, right? Like right. generative. Um, and so I, I learned this incredible lesson when I was working with my reporting partner, Samara Freemark for um, American Public Media on a project. And we were interviewing a bunch of veterans and she was holding the um the shotgun mic uh because she could actually hold it without moving her fingers constantly and causing the audio to be completely terrible and i was 
doing a lot of the question asking in the beginning of our, um, uh, of our project. And after like one interview, she's like, Gunsel, you do not leave any silence. Like you have to learn to just pause and see what happens. I'm like, okay, I'm in, I'm in. Well, what do we do? And she's like, I'm holding the microphone, which is always like very close to the source, right? She's like, after you ask a question or after an answer seems like it's done, I'm going to raise my finger. And until my finger goes back down, you're not going to say anything. I'm like, got it, right? Like, awesome. And it was incredible. Like what I learned about about gathering stories and and what can happen when you actually, this is like classic, like, we <laughs> would you believe I'm a cis white male? Um, <laughs> that when you actually leave space, um, what can happen, even though it's initially awkward, is is actually like transformative and and magical and actually does leave room for that person who just finished a story to go somewhere entirely different and that applies to conversations um and so i've really tried and i'm not always good at it but i really try to just leave space after someone tells me something even though it triggers and i really want to tell them this fucking story because it's such a good story and they'll know a little bit more about me and like you know whatever else like um I'm really practicing that kind of quality of presence. So anyway, I was already going to talk about quality of presence, but what you both were talking about really raised that for me. And so I'm, I'm really just, I'm answering the question, how is my mental health by just saying that like, I am thinking a lot about quality of presence and the ways in which my quality of presence can, can be degraded. Um, the ways in which I may feel it's good and it's actually not good. This is really funny story from when, uh, my wife was pregnant with our first son and we were living in New York and we went to a, uh, we were part of a, a group, like a, a group of people that were about to have babies, right? It was like a parenting fucking club or whatever. And we were learning different lessons about, you know, the actual birthing process. And they did this thing where it was all men and women. It was all like straight couples where, um, the women were supposed to kind of just sit in a chair and the men were supposed to come behind them and, and put their hand on their back and just, and just the, the instructions were just to be like as loving and supportive as you can, like send all that loving and supportive energy through your hand into their back. And we did the exercise. And when it was done, it was time for the, the women in the group to share out. And one after another, they're like, felt really oppressive. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're, you know, we're all going like support, love, light, babies, you know, and they're just like, fuck, get this hand off of me. And that taught me a lot. And I continue learning about quality of presence. So that's my answer. <laughs> I will say it was really hard for me to not interrupt you while you were talking uh, to talk about how common it is for ADHD people to interrupt in a conversation. <laughs> um, and I'm like, I would just be illustrating the point. In my conversation with Christina before you went, Jeff, like I interrupted her so many times because I couldn't like not say what was on my mind. Um, and, and I feel like shit about that. And, and honestly, it is easier for me to interrupt women than it is men. And hmm. that sucks. Like it, it's like, I naturally, it really is. And I've noticed this about myself. Like if I have something I think is important to say, I'm willing to cut a woman off where I will give a guy a little more time to finish his, his speech. And like, at least that's what it seems to me in, in anecdotal situations. Like, and it's something that I, I work on. Um, but uh, it is a common trait for ADHD people to interrupt. 
And, and that is something that I could really use someone holding up their finger and just like, just that signal would be like, okay, all right, back down. We're, yep. we're just going to keep listening. Um, maybe what I have to say right now might not even be relevant by the time they finish talking and that's okay. Like I need to learn to deal with that. Well, and in the case of what you're describing of interrupting women more than men, like to, to have a bigger finger, um, that, that is up for longer. Um, in those cases, I mean, that is something I think it's really important. You've got that self-awareness and I think you just figure out like what, just what you do on your computer, right? Like what's the hack? What can I do Mm -hmm. to make sure that, um, and, and I don't, I have no shame in having to like mechanize me shutting the fuck up. Like, you know, the idea of that finger or whatever else, like, because what happens is it quickly feels like something other than mechanized. It just feels like spaciousness, you know, and, you know, (laughs) that's the biggest thing in the world, right? I suddenly, I feel physically bad now about admitting that I cut women off in conversation. I'm going to leave it in the podcast because... It's fucking true. Like it's just, it's true. But I feel, I, I feel physically bad now. Um, I'm sorry you feel physically bad, but I'm glad that you admitted that, right? Like I think that that's because yeah, yeah. honestly, like it's one of those things. Like I think that it's a good thing to kind of like be aware of, right? Like I think oh, that, that yeah. you know, like like I'm glad that you have that self awareness to at least even say that. Like I think that's really good. How am I ever going to fix it if I don't acknowledge it? Well, that's exactly it. And which I think goes to what what Jeff was saying, which is like, I think, and I've done something similar, Jeff, um, where I've also like tried to be more present. So I really appreciate what you were saying about that because that encourages me to continue to do that because I, I, with, I think that silences can be beautiful, but like you, I also kind of have a hard time like letting things be that way. Um, yeah. But like, but but I think what Jeff was was saying, and and this is might maybe me completely undoing what I was just proclaiming to do, is I think applicable to even like what you were saying, Brett, about like you you notice that you are more open to interrupting women if you're aware of these things and if you can be conscious of it, even if it's hard and even if it takes time, even if you don't have that that physical cue of the hand going up, you can make changes in your behavior right and then those and then those changes the more you do them the more common like the more the easier it is to continue to do them and the more they become habits so you know just like yes it's it's harder for adhd people but that doesn't mean it's impossible and it doesn't mean that that like you know like you know what i mean like like our 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 mental um you know challenges are, are, are not like crutches they're not excuses for us to act certain ways they're just not so if that's something you really want to change you can take the steps which starts with acknowledging what happens to recognize it and then you know think about it not feel actively bad but to be like okay well in the future i'm going to be aware of this and stop myself when when i when i even even if i sense it's happening stop myself when i start to do it so that you know the habit becomes something that you just do Sure. Yeah. And, and, and I've been aware of this for a little while now. It's, I feel physically bad having publicly admitted it to thousands of people. Um, that's just, that's a, Fair. you know, I'll be, I'll be very aware of it now. Um, so, so guess what? Uh, after, after months of talking about how I needed to find a therapist, I found a therapist. 
I had my first session a couple days ago. Um, like we, we did a meet and greet, uh, just kind of like an interview. Is this guy going to work for me? And, and I wasn't sure. Like he checked all the boxes, all the questions I had lined up. Uh, he had answers that were satisfactory, but at the end of a little like 20 minute, uh, let's just, let's just chat kind of thing. I didn't feel like he was smarter than me. And I really want someone smarter than me that can call me on bullshit. Um, Cause I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a smart guy. I'm mm-hmm. also an addict. I'm very adept at deception manipulation. and uh, manipulation for sure. And like, I need someone smart enough to just be like, Nope, that's not right. That's not true. What do you actually think about this? What are you actually feeling? What actually happened in that situation? And, and I wasn't sure he could, be that guy for me. Um, and I didn't know if I wanted a male or a female therapist. So I, I put unspecified when I did the psychology today search. Um, but this guy came up and, and he has experience with religious trauma. He has experience with addiction. He has experience with bipolar and ADHD. And during our first session, like he explained things about my bipolar specifically like he listened to um, me explain what my like manic episodes were like and everything and he was able to tell me things about my condition that i didn't know before and that i double checked to verify and he knows what he's talking about it was Mm. it was impressive um he's worked with uh with uh alcohol abuse and and addicts and at like uh dual diagnosis clinic um, mm-hmm. in Minnesota. And uh, he's, he's, he's worked with seven day Adventists and <laughs> some, some cult members that needed deconversion. And yeah. So like he, he, like he immediately, when I talked about, um, my fundamentalist upbringing and he, without prompting was like, that's abuse you were abused. And I'm like, I needed to hear that from him. I needed a therapist who understood that while outwardly appearing like a leave it to beaver cleaver home, it was not my upbringing was terrifying. Um, and I wasn't physically abused in any way. I wasn't sexually abused, but I was emotionally abused and, and it affects me to this day. And, Mm -hmm. and I feel like this guy, I feel like, he hit all the right buttons. Um, I, I, I'm no longer concerned about his intelligence level. He's, he's a smart enough guy. He's at least as smart as I am. Maybe not smarter, but he's, he's smart enough, and I feel like this is going to work. So I signed up to do weekly sessions for the next six weeks, and we'll see how things go. That's It'll awesome. be the first time I've actually given therapy a chance. I'm That's I'm fantastic. so I'm so glad to hear that. And I'm so glad like you gave him a second chance and that you didn't just go on that kind of like initial gut feeling of, you know, he's not smart enough. Uh, right. Well, I realized like I could probably shoot down therapists for the rest of time. Yeah, I was like, going to say I'm, I was going to say you're probably not going to find a, a therapist who's smarter than you to be completely honest. Well, and, and, and the thing is like, that's a very subjective, it is like no one's sharing their IQ scores with me. And I don't even know how much faith I put in the idea of a, of an IQ test. Like what he, he met all the requirements on paper. 
that I could think of that I could possibly come up with. And this idea of like, is he smarter than me? It's subjective. And I could use that to shoot down anybody. So I had to ignore that one and just accept that he met all the other requirements and give him a shot. And yeah, I think it's going to work out. For me, it's not it's not smart. I mean, like generally speaking, it's important that somebody be smart and, you know, a little wise even, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or wizened. But clear-eyed is actually what, for me, what matters the most. It's like the thing that you said where he was able to sort of reflect back at you what what you already knew but you needed to hear, which is that your, your religious upbringing was traumatic, right? Mm-hmm. Clear-eyed enough to be able to kind of see you in these these ways that you're presenting yourself as you get to know each other, um, it takes smarts for sure. But I think you can have the smartest therapist in the world, and they might not see you. You know, we uh, we our our first session was uh, telehealth. Um, I will be meeting with him in person for our second session, just so I can get a feel for like the difference between mm-hmm. a video session and an office session. Uh, but at the beginning of the telehealth appointment, he like stretched back, put his fingers behind his head and like raised his arms up. And like it was clearly to display that he had half sleeves on both arms uh, tattoos. And and it felt like I'm like, that is a weird flex for your first session with somebody to be like, yeah, look at me. I'm a tattooed. I'm a young tattooed guy. <laughs> Give me your faith and trust. <laughs> um, that that threw me a little bit. But uh, I didn't I didn't I didn't ask him about his ink. Uh, I feel like he, he probably would have had a lot to say about the meaningfulness. Like, apparently he grew up on a reservation. OK. And in, in like North Dakota. But he's very white. I don't. I don't know the story there. I didn't ask. Uh, maybe we'll get into that at some point. I mean, if m- we, maybe uh, he's not as white as you think. Like maybe he is. Like <laughs> you know what I mean. Like because maybe he's one of those people who actually is one sixteenth. That's Native what American. I'm saying. Like you never, or, or maybe even more than that. You don't know. Like people, like race is race is a weird thing in terms of how much like it. You know, people was, look certain ways. Yeah, I, I was told as a kid, I was one sixteenth Native American. We were all told uh, that, Brett. We were yeah, all told. I feel that. like that's, and I began to realize that everyone around me thought that as well, and everyone was getting their DNA results back. I was going to no say, and we all realized it was a lie. We, we all had that one great great uncle who was was Native American. Yeah, like we all I'm had per- that like Cherokee or something. We all had that in my yeah exactly in my memory. I met my great grandmother who was Sioux. Um, and or like Missouri Sioux, and and I remembered that. I'm like, yep, I'm definitely one sixteenth because the math works out. Now I'm not even sure that memory is real. Her name was Hahu, but that might have just been like a white trash nickname she had. I don't, I don't even know. I'm scared to ask, but I just stopped telling. I've stopped. <laughs> I've, I've stopped telling anyone that I have any Native American in my blood. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that, I think the Elizabeth Warren thing should have all been like signed to all of us. You know what I mean? Because I think that was the perfect encapsulation <laughs> of like that's what happens when you believe that, and then you go to school. Oh, that was like, brutal. And it was, and then you get the stuff back, and like because I I don't think that she was like intentionally trying to like fuck over the system. Like I really do think that she yeah. thought that she had that stuff and that she could claim those things. And it's like, mm, no, no, but yeah. All right, so we have a couple of subtopics in our mental health corner. We do. 
first, I was going to mention, like, I haven't been manic for the last week, but I have gotten shitty sleep. I've been waking up between mm. 12 and 3 every morning, and, like, a line from a song will be looping in my head. I oh, won't man. be worrying. I won't be stressed, but, like, my brain will just be latched onto a line. Like, I've had K Flay's new album running through my head like nonstop mm-hmm. and like just one or two lines. Sometimes an entire verse will just get looped in my brain. And I wouldn't call them racing thoughts. I would just call it my brain won't stop latching onto this thing and fall asleep. And I end up tossing and turning until like six in the morning when I finally get up. So I'm not like up all night coding like I would be if I were manic. Yeah. But I'm not sleeping well. Sorry sucks also k flay's new album is fucking great that is inside voices outside voices if anybody cares check it i'm out. scared i'm scared of the internet with the song that, <laughs> yeah that yeah i delighted me yeah I, I i haven't listened to it in depth i'm still listening to a lot of beyonce but uh i did like mm. give it one kind of go through and i really liked it so and yeah. because of you and because of this pod i'm a k flay fan so so tgif is a song she does with tom morello from rage against the machine and and it apparently she had the line in it at the in the first verse she says I want to rage against the fucking machine, and mm-hmm. that was in there before they brought Tom in. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, which is like they, that was the song. They're like, yeah, you could tie into this one, and the whole thing uses like rage style, like weird guitar sounds and everything. Uh, but the muck is the one that gets stuck in my head at night, um, stuck in the muck, like, and it it just loops in my brain, and that song is a banger weirdo is an anthem but the muck that's that's my pick for best track on the album anyway awesome all right so someone just added book wreck i'm glad my mom died what yep. what is that it's a okay oh while, i saw that while you were talking um about uh your like experiences and and needing to hear that you'd experienced abuse and i'd actually meant to bring this i meant to put this on the list anyway so i just finished reading a book called i'm glad my mom died and it's by jeanette mccurdy who was a nickelodeon actress in like the the late uh, aughts and uh she was on a show called iCarly, and then she was on a show with a future pop star ariana grande called sam and cat which was like a, a spinoff of two shows not great like these are like you know kid sitcoms right and uh, she quit acting, um, and although she, she might, she says she might go back to it, but she she quit acting, and was doing this one woman show a couple years ago called "I'm Glad My Mom Died," which great title, really fucking like like <laughs> that's going to get attention. Uh, but she wrote the book, and it's a memoir. And look, I'm a little bit too old for the shows that she was on. I'm like aware of them, but I'm I'm too old to really know much about that so i went into this reading it and then i actually got the audible version like listening to it not with a a ton of familiarity the way that some people would buy a celebrity memoir where they're like oh i remember you know this this child actress from my my childhood like i don't really have that relationship and and neither of you would have that relationship so i think that this would be a, a good wreck and i still thought it was a really really good memoir um she basically talks about like her relationship with her mom who died of cancer when she was like 21 um and how her mom had been the one who had pushed her into acting to begin with, which she'd never really wanted to do when she was six years old and really was living vicariously through her. Her mom basically like started her on, uh, you know, having an eating disorder and, and encouraging um, that sort of thing. Um, and she thinks is maybe a way of control and some other stuff and, and just some other really fucked up things that 
while she was growing up, like she would have said, like, my mom's the best. She's the most important person in my life. But then as she became like an adult and had to deal with things, she had to kind of like face the reality that she did kind of grow up in more of an abusive environment and and, and in a really fucked up um, a lot of scenarios. But it's it's a really, really good memoir. Like I, I was shocked because usually these types of memoirs are like the Jamie Lynn Spears variety, which I did not buy, but I did pirate and was hot garbage. And I don't say that because like, I'm like more team Brittany than team other ones. Like I'm, I'm team. That whole family is, is like white trash and sucks. But like, this was actually really, really good. And, um, I, I, I'm going to wreck it for people to, to read or listen to, even if you have no idea who she is, it was a really good memoir of, you know, somebody who's kind of gone through a lot of stuff, um, kind of the, the weird fame cycle, but also like grappling with their mental health and, and coming to terms with a childhood that was not what they thought that it was. I don't know exactly where this thing goes, but I, I, I do often think about how it's not, it's not one of the experiences that is, is like, is like uh, socially appropriate to discuss, which is a relief when a parent dies, a yes. parent that's been, been a uh, complex, um, you know, uh, impact on, on your life as a child. Um, and that it doesn't mean that you wished them dead, uh, but that maybe um, there's some relief from them. Past. Yeah. No, she talked about that in some of her interviews because obviously she, she's been like, she's done, you know, like the, like the press junket around this now that it's like, top of the bestseller list that's probably only going to continue um but people have asked they're like okay so what about the title like you know and she's like look it's it's i really mean it like yes it's provocative and it's going to get people to pay attention which is true she's like but it's also accurate and and i think that i've earned the title like i i I heard her say one interview that and i was like that's really i like that i like her saying i feel like i my my lived experience i've earned the title but she also george stephanopoulos asked her on good morning america he was like well what would your mom think of the title would would you name it that and she was like there wouldn't be a book if my mom (laughs) was was alive i wouldn't have written the book i wouldn't have been able to to do that and i think it might have been in the intro but no it wasn't in that it was i think it might have been something with the atlantic or something but she like talked about like maybe she didn't maybe it was something i just read anecdotally in the atlantic that when people are giving like tips on memoir stuff that, yeah, this is what it was. It was an anecdote in in the Atlantic where the writer was saying that in, she was in a memoir class in college and the professor would hear people and say, you might have to wait until people are dead to write that because that is a very valid thing. I think there are a lot of people who Mm -hmm. can't express their truth and how things really are really were until people have passed, which I think all of us can can relate and experience that and know that, yeah, there are things yeah. that we can talk about, even if we talk about it on a podcast like this that we know our parents don't listen to. There are things you can't put out there in the public until people are gone to really get into. So in this case, you know, she had to wait, like her, her mom's been, been, been dead for um, probably a decade, but, you know, she had to wait, like she wouldn't have been able to write the book and name it that. But it's also, it's it's a provocative thing that will get attention but she does actually sincerely mean it, you know, like not that she hates her mother. Um, you know, she has complicated feelings about it, but to your point, Jeff, like she feels that relief that a lot of people have and don't feel emboldened or, or open to say. And that was, there was a lot of discourse uh, when the book came out or, or leading up to its release where people were like very upset by the title. And then there was pushback from others who were saying exactly what you said, which is, no, we need to acknowledge that these are things people feel and that it's okay for them to feel that. And I think if yeah. you read, and I think if you read the book, 
you definitely understand, at least I, I got the impression and, and I, I would love, you know, if YouTube write, read it or I'll, I'll, I'll you know, uh, slide you a copy or whatever in your listeners. Yeah. Or book club. Uh, I'll, um, you know, I, uh, I feel like she earned the title, you know, like I thought it was, I'll also just, and then I'll, I'll, I'll shut up, but I thought it was really well written. She says that like, that's what she really wants to do. She wants to be a writer or a director. She's a very, very good writer. And I think that's what makes this work. Even if you have no context for who she is as a person or as a celebrity, it's one of those rare memoirs that I've read where I went, okay, this was in some cases like hard to read because it's, you know, there's a lot in here, but it was actually very, very well written. Awesome. I think I'm going to write a book called I'm Sorry I Died and then have it published posthumously. And, oh, I love and it that. will not it will not be an airing of grievances. Right. It will just be like I'm just going to be honest about how I felt about everyone and everything um which by and large is really good and maybe I don't say enough nice things to people but <laughs> um Given given I'm not famous enough to for there to be like any real estate value to a memoir of my life, uh, I feel like a posthumous uh like just have it self-publish when I die. Like if I don't <laughs> if I don't check in every 30 days and tell it not to publish, it'll yeah, just yeah. eventually pub- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just auto-publish a month after my right. my passing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of into that. Get to work. Get to work. All right, so should we skip to graptitude? I think we could just go to graptitude. Yeah. Let's do it. So I'll go first. Can I go first? You can absolutely go first. I'm picking Launch Bar this week, but with the caveat that I don't give a shit what you use. Like, if you're an Alfred person, if you're a Quicksilver person, Mm -hmm. if you just like to launch things with Spotlight. Yeah, Raycast, for sure. Like, anything, any kind of launcher fits the bill. I am... I've been a launch bar user since it came out, mm-hmm. uh, which was in the l- in the later days of Quicksilver. I switched from Quicksilver, like before round two of Quicksilver. Right. Quicksilver has made a resurgence. But before round two, I, I became uh, back in God, well, like 2000, it's been like 2006, 2007, I switched to launch bar. And, uh, and I just became a dedicated user. Uh, Quicksilver kind of fell by the wayside. Launch Bar ruled the arena. I became a hardcore fan. And then Alfred came out and like everything about Alfred impressed me. I think it's a great app. I have like, I have no qualm. I have no beef with Alfred. Uh, I just, I was already Quicksilver. I mean, Launch Bar was already doing everything I needed it to do. So I'm a huge Launch Bar fan, but my pick can also incorporate Alfred Raycast, uh, Quicksilver, whatever you whatever you want, whatever you like. They're all amazing launchers, launchers in general. Yep, I went Alfred from Quicksilver, and you went Launch Bar. It's like it's not even a type of person. It's just like we all sorted where we sorted. Exactly. It's like a pachinko. It was like a pachinko machine. It's just where you landed. Down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've done, I've done like all of them. So I, I went to launch bar first and I was launch bar and I still actually have, like, I still buy launch bar whenever like it's, it's updated. I always <laughs> buy it. Um, but then, but, but I have like a, a lifetime Alfred thing. That's primarily what I use. I recently started using Raycast a little bit and I like it. There's some parts of it that I don't love. Um, so it's funny cause often how I do it, like, because I have three different Macs. 
my work laptop, my personal laptop, and my iMac. And so I typically have um, like a couple of them aliased. So I have, you know, multiples that I that I could kind of switch between. So not not like three at one time, but usually like two at one time to kind of figure out. And my only thing I think with with sticking with Alfred historically has been that it had like a, a little bit more active like third party community for extensions and things like that. I mean, obviously you, you can still do those things in LaunchBar, but but Alfred for a while really kind of had the mind share. And now a lot of that seems to have gone to Raycast, but you use what you use, but I'm with you. I love all of them. And um, for anybody out there who's a Windows user, uh, Power Toys, which is a, a free and open source thing that the Windows team actually built on GitHub, um, spiritual successor to the old Power Toys that came with like Windows 95 and shit, has a launcher, um, which is mapped to the the Windows space, um, like nice. like thing that works. That also has you know plugins that people can do and whatnot. So uh, and and I I was sort of responsible for that a little bit because I showed um, the the guy who's the lead of that project um, an open source um, window launcher on on Windows that I had been using that I really liked. And, uh, and when they started building power toys, that was something that they wound up forking because the, that project wasn't actively, um, being developed and, um, and, and used, uh, you know, when they were building out the, the, the launcher and, and power toys. So yeah, plus one love launchers. Nice also, work. I- that is the fourth or fifth Windows 95, uh, like shout out <laughs> on this show since I joined. I love Windows 95. <laughs> what can I say? And also, have you noticed that the, the Windows 95 launch footage has been kind of moving around Twitter again, where they're all dancing? Yeah. Uh, it's like, which, which ones had cocaine? All um, of them. All of them. <laughs> yeah, but especially the big guy in the middle. Oh, of, um, of course, Bomber. Come on, man. You know, he's, he's the one that you, he's the one we most want to like, get high with. He's like Craig Finn from the Hold Steady. His arms are flying. And anyway, sorry, but Windows quick, 95, quick, go get them. Quick, quick, quick sub pick. I just got to throw in here Astral App. Have you guys seen AstralApp.com? I have. It's a way to tag, add notes, and organize your GitHub stars. Like yes, we I all star yes. repos. We're like, yep, let's star this repo and we'll remember it later. But you get like Christina, you have hundreds of stars. Thousands. Yeah, I have and, this problem. And and it, to keep track of them all, Astral App is like a it's like pinboard for GitHub stars. Yep. Yep. Huge. Awesome. I'm just, gonna, huge I'm just gonna leave that in the show notes. Yeah, leave that in the show notes. No, that, yeah, that's a huge one. There's also a, a um Chrome extension or or Edge or Firefox, whatever. An extension for everything but Safari, because Safari is Safari. Um, that is called like little star that will also make it a little bit easier if you, for you to organize your stars. But Astral is great. You can also self-host Astral. Like they've got their hosted thing, but that sometimes has issues, but you can host it yourself. I think there's even a Docker container. So, um, Oh my God, Astral's amazing. I literally just logged yeah, in. Yeah, no, no. There, it, it, the, it, there I am. Yeah, it's really good. I'm a very big fan. Wow. Needed, needed. All right. Christina, you got something for us? Okay, yeah. So, I have I talked about Canva before? Oh man, the design two ADHD people. Yeah, the design app. The design app. No, I don't think you have. Okay, not since I've been on. Okay, so I haven't talked about it. Okay, so Canva um, is Canva.com. It is a website, web app. There is a Mac app, but I think it's basically just an electron wrapper, which is fine. Is it's a subscription. I I don't know how much it costs because I'm on somebody's part of somebody's team plan, but but it's it's actually very reasonable. And if you do a lot of design stuff, like if you're having to create 
YouTube thumbnails, for instance, or social media banners or other things, or even just other kind of Photoshop-like stuff, it is amazing. And it is a really, really good tool. Uh, it's really easy to use, but it's also really powerful. And the thing that I really like about it is that I've used, so for instance, I have to make like thumbnails for my YouTube videos every week and I'm in front of a green screen and you would think that removing uh, the green screen from your background would be a fairly easy task. Uh, I have Photoshop, I have Affinity Photo, I have, you know, all these, uh, you know, Pixelmator, I have all these, these things that I pay for, you know, latest version of Creative Cloud, all this stuff. None of them do it as well as the built-in, as, as like the, the free thing for Canva, where it'll remove your background for you, whether it's a green screen or something else. It's actually incredibly, incredibly good. But they have a lot of these templates. Some of them are premium, so you have to be part of, you know, like you have to be part of their subscription to do it, you know, that, that are submitted by others. But it's it's a really great just like kind of design app for dummies. And um, honestly, like I look at it and I'm like, you know, this is eating... Adobe's lunch in a lot of regards in terms of like things like Photoshop Express and stuff like that. <coughs> I'm I'm a really really big fan. So Canva is my pick because I'm actually have I'm going to have to use it in a few minutes. Um, I've been very happy with the results I've been getting from it, but it's also easy to use. It's a lot more advanced than you would think with these sorts of design tools. It's not going to be good. Like obviously, if you are a professional designer, you're not going to love everything about this. But if you need to do something quick and dirty, or even if you just need to like make something like an infographic or, you know, a graph or like some or other sort of thing, you know, for, for work yeah. or for something, it's really, really good. I'm a really, really big fan. I am awesome. I am very comfortable in uh, design applications, uh, I, especially affinity stuff these days, but I grew up on uh, Adobe and um, I would probably immediately run into the limitations of this. Yeah. But there's so much shit I do that I just need a quick and dirty, good looking. I need a good looking cover photo for a blog post or a podcast episode. And it could be perfect for that. That's, and that's what this is perfect for. Elle works for a yarn shop and she handles their social media and it's she really has, great. she has dug in and learned a good amount of like Adobe or not Adobe uh, affinity photo mm-hmm. in order to be able to create good looking promos for them. This could actually like, I would split the cost of a, the a yearly pro account is 120 bucks. That's not bad. No, and 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 I think it's 150 dollars for 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 a teams thing uh, for for the first five people. So you know, if, if if each of you want, you could split an account, or you could like you know, like if you wanted to share something, like it's it's um yeah. it. So I, I'm on somebody's teams account. It's really good. I think for for both of you would be good. Like for again, I'm fairly comfortable with design tools. Not as comfortable as you are, but. I've used all of these things forever, but when I was going to like make a YouTube thumbnail, you know, okay, so I have to remove the the, the background, and that's more challenging than it should be because for whatever reason, the AI on, on, on Canva is is better. It just it's better than Photoshop's. It is that's a flat out that's a flat out fact. Um, and then you know I need to add in like the various elements, and I need to to do you know apply certain things you know to to get the the coloring right or the gradient or this or that and like the font and like you know it takes all this time versus browsing through finding a template that I can customize to my liking and and then just snapping it out. And I'm I'm not gonna lie, like I I'm much I'm lazy and it looks good and I'm happy with it. You know what I mean? Nice. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm yeah. into it. Yeah. Awesome. 
Uh, my well, first of all, I've been playing with Astral here, and you know what I wish I could do? I wish I could, I could, I could tag it with a certain tag that would cause it to be sent to Pinboard. That yeah. would be like an That'd amazing be thing. Really cool. um, but it's so write, good. Maybe we could write an integration. There might be a way to do an integration. It is so good. And it's viewer. When I click on the various things that are starred is just really well done. And man, thank you. This is awesome. Okay. Uh, my pick is simple. It's a very old pick. It's by word. Like, uh, so oh, yeah. I, yes. I don't know if you ever used right room back in the day yes. Oh yeah. from uh, Jesse. How do you say his last name? Gross jeans, gross, gross jeans. Yeah. Um, who of course did bike, which has been, uh, I think was a unanimous recommendation on this, um, podcast. Um, and, uh, oh my God, what am, how am I not thinking of the thing that I use all the time? Task paper. Yeah. 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 Duh. Anyway, so awesome. Right room is great. I remember I used it, man, I lived in New York when I used right room, uh, which was like 2004. I think, and you could just like, I mean, you will both know this, but you just, you know, open this app and it's just a big black screen with green type. I mean, you could add add a couple of themes. That was the one that came up and it was just so lovely of an environment to write in. And so anyway, Byword, when Writeroom, you can still, I think, technically run, um, but Byword became my replacement for Writeroom a long, long, long time ago. I mean, like a decade or more ago. Um, And I've kind of just let it go by the wayside. And then recently I had this just like desperate need to write and focus. And I just popped it in, made it full screen and was just able to write. And, um, and ever since then I've been keeping it up as my sort of note taking app, uh, because it's just such a lovely environment to write in. So by word still, still going, still going strong. I actually what? don't know the last time it was updated, but still going. What I love about Byword is keyboard shortcuts. Uh, like Byword followed the text mate mentality of mm-hmm. like, we're just going to give you a blank screen with no buttons, mm-hmm. uh, but we're going to yeah. give you keyboard shortcuts. It was the first time I had the command option up arrow to gradually increase the selection. If your cursor's on the page and you hit command option up arrow, it'll select the current word. Hit it again, it'll select the current sentence. Hit it again, it will select within like parentheticals or the current paragraph. Hit it again, and it'll select the whole document. And like yeah. that kind of, that kind of, and and like control command up and down. I think was it was the first time I saw that for moving lines up and so down awesome. without having to select stuff like that. And and that became part of my like base, my minimum viable product requirements for a Markdown editor. Mm. was that it had that kind of power without having buttons for it. Uh, That kind of like under the surface, like it can do exactly what you need it to do in any given time without looking like Microsoft Word. Yeah. For me, my number one thing with a Markdown editor, and, and it's still hard for me to find it, to be completely honest, is when I select text and I hit a bracket, I don't want it to delete the text. I want it to surround the text in brackets. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. That is, and I'm pretty sure Byword does that. I'm pretty I sure it does. If, if you've played with NV Ultra at all, yeah. uh, or even multi-Markdown Composer, really good with yep. auto-pairing um, of, of brackets, parentheses, uh, backticks for like code spans. Uh, once you get used to writing and then selecting and hitting the the surrounding bracket, yep, uh, it's hard to go back. It is. Uh, it is like I I, I found a, I found a workaround for VS Code that now doesn't quite work, and I have to figure out another workaround again. But it's frustrating, right? So you know, like 
TextMate was so good for so long and I stuck to it for years, partially, honestly, because of like that sort of thing, because I was like, it does the shit that I need it to do. And I got so used to being able to select text and hit, you know, the modifier and Uh not have it delete it, you know, that that I was like, I was like, this ruins it. It's the first thing I test when I open up a new markdown editor to see if it's something (laughs) I care about is I'll select text and hit a, a hit a double quote. And if it surrounds it in double quotes, we can keep moving. If not, I'm done. I'm out. Like, that's yeah. just basic care of... It's basic user care right there. Yeah. Totally. No, but, but yet, yet I also understand the challenge because if you're, like, building a multi-purpose text editor, that isn't going to be, you know, the response that the most people want. But if you're writing a markdown, you definitely do. And it's funny. I think that I probably do that as a test as well, Brett, probably because you do, because we probably talked about it at some point (laughs) in the last 15 years. And I I was like, oh yeah, it makes sense. I'll see if I can find, I wrote an article at some point, uh, my ideal markdown editor. And I laid out a list of requirements that, yeah, my my ultimate markdown editor wish list. I wrote it back in 2012 and people still contact me because they were, you know, they started working on a new editor and they took these requirements into account. Uh, and and I still I stand by everything in this in this article, uh, which includes auto pairing and wrapping. And if you start a list item, you know, with a bullet and you hit return, it should start another list item. And if you hit return again on an empty line, yep. it should clear the clear the list out. Like basic stuff mm-hmm. like that, just that's how a markdown editor needs to work for me. So agreed. I will link that. If anyone wants to build their own markdown editor, see my article as like, if you want to build a markdown editor that impresses me, here's your MVP. But but also as somebody who's been working off and on on a markdown editor, you can probably tell people like just not to do it, right? Like, isn't that just a world of pain? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So did you ever see, um, what was it called? Uh, shit. I had a, I had a markdown editor I wrote for WordPress that, that worked inside of the, the built-in WordPress editor. Oh yeah. I remember mm-hmm. that. It was uh quick, quick tag. Yeah. Quick tags. Ma- mar- which was- mark th- markdown quick tag. Yep. MDQT. Yeah. And, and I wrote it all in JavaScript and it basically was this layer that sat above mm-hmm. the tiny MCE editor right. in, in WordPress and I incorporated all of this into the WordPress editor, and I had a blast doing it. Uh, I think the thing that scares me uh, working on an app like NB Ultra with Fletcher is uh, the file handling. Like mm-hmm. you, you corrupt a file, and you've ruined somebody's note. You've you've deleted somebody's data. Right. That's the nerve wracking part. Dealing with like. This is what should happen when you hit this key. That stuff's easy and and pretty fun. And I did a lot of that with NV Alt too. Um, that that have fun with that. If you get into actually being a file manager like NV Ultra is, then you're treading on like holy shit. I can't fuck this up territory. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, have fun. Make new make new markdown. I mean, I definitely want that. It's so funny. Some one of my former colleagues at Microsoft was like. Uh, uh, like negging me today and they're like, when is, when is GitHub going to make their own markdown editor? I was like, that would be awesome. But I, I don't know. I don't think that that's on anybody's roadmap, but I, that would be cool. All right. That was fun. You guys. It was fun. What did we talk about today? 
Oh, don't do that. Shit. Uh, We talked, it's been a while. We talked about styles of conversation and ways of listening Mm -hmm. slash presence, uh, failing, failing to listen quality of presence and quality of presence. Thank you, Jeff. We talked about whether neurotypical people even exist. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. We did I, not come to a conclusion. We did not. I said, I don't believe in that monster, but I was searching for words and monster wasn't the one I meant. So if anybody out there identifies <laughs> that way, I didn't mean monster. Uh, I still don't know what I meant, but I'm not that mean. And, uh, uh, and, and we talked about apps. Yeah. We, 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 went, we went long on mental health and I feel like we had, we had a lot to say. Brett found a therapist. Uh, we, we had a lot, we had a lot to talk about. Um, but then, yeah, we got into graptitude and I think all three picks today were, were thought provoking and, and really exciting. Yes. I won't, I won't ruin them for people listening to just this summary. I won't ruin the picks. Mm -hmm. They're good ones. You'll have to check it out. You'll have to check it out. We actually, uh, well, I think I picked word and if i'm not mistaken christina you were excel uh, yep. and brett you were access mm-hmm. right no I, right. I went with pages just to be the rebel okay, oh got right, it right got right, it right, yeah. got it yeah great conversation <laughs> hey you guys get some sleep get some sleep get some sleep check out our youtube channel follow our twitter and instagram accounts and sign up for the newsletter see the show notes for links the system is going down low.